0: On episode 232 of the Tennis Files podcast, we'll go inside the mind of a 50 tennis player with special guest Dylan
1: Sykes. Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mehrban Iranshad.
0: Hey there, welcome back to the show, and a big happy new year. We are in 2022, we made it, and I hope that you're having a great holiday season with your family and friends and other loved ones. And today we have a fun interview with Dylan Sykes, and I found out about Dylan through YouTube. I go on there and watch a lot of tennis and other content, I think uh, way too much to be honest, but Dylan is the founder of Dill Plays. It's a fantastic YouTube channel with a lot of great match play footage where Dylan plays a lot of great. Four five, five oh, and five five tennis players. And a lot of times, as Dylan says later in the interview, we really can appreciate watching players that are more at our level as opposed to the pros who are just amazing. And obviously, we love watching them, but we also like to analyze players who uh, we aspire to get to uh, at some day, at some point in time. Uh, that is actually attainable. <laughs> uh, just being realistic. if if any uh, five or ten year olds are listening to this, uh, this doesn't apply to you. but um, yeah, and and Dylan does a great job with his YouTube channel, and he also has played Division three college tennis at Christopher Newport University, and he currently plays USA leagues and competitive tournaments, UTR tournaments, and others. So we talk about on the show today. Dylan's experience uh, playing college tennis, his ups and downs during it, uh, actually a, a rough period where he got suspended and uh, had a, a lot of time to think about his life in tennis, as well as, uh, of course, five o tennis as, and also how Dylan got into content creation and putting up his many match play videos on YouTube and playing tennis on your own terms as well, and finding the love for the game. A lot of us go through patches where we hate the game, whether it's because we, we just keep losing or we just don't enjoy it and we feel like we're going through the motions. So I think you will really enjoy that part of the conversation as well. And with that, I want to get you straight to the interview. So without further ado, here is my interview with Dylan Sykes. Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Tennis Falls Podcast. And it's a pleasure to have Dylan Sykes on the podcast. Uh, I really enjoyed watching his match play videos. And, uh, you know, I, I'm going to talk to him about USCA leagues and just his experiences playing tennis and the differences between, you know, 4 5 and 5 players and so on. So, but again, Dylan, uh, great job with your YouTube content and other content, and really fun to speak with you today
2: thank you, I appreciate you having me on and uh, I guess I must be doing something right if I'm getting on podcast interviews, which is pretty cool for me
0: yeah, most definitely you know I think uh like creators, they just provide a lot of great uh value to the world, and you know like ninety nine percent of it is free and a lot of other people enjoy from it. you know I've seen so many people comment on your videos and like them, and you know you're you're a great player as well, a five o player so Definitely, you deserve you know some recognition, of course, which you're getting. So, uh, just just great to to speak with a fellow uh, five oh player as well. So, just want to get the audience to kind of uh, get to know you uh, about you a little bit more. So, uh, what area do you live in, and are you playing USA leagues and tournaments and so forth? In
2: yes, yeah, so I'm in uh, I'm in Virginia, the Richmond area. We always just say Richmond, but you know, there's always surrounding suburbs. Um, I've pretty much grown up here. I uh, was born in California, but it doesn't really count. It was like two weeks, and then we moved all over the place. But I really got my roots from playing tennis here in like Midlothian, Virginia, specifically at Midlothian Tennis Club, still my uh, my home club down here in Midlothian.
1: But I've been playing in the Mid Atlantic
2: region for pretty much all my life. Went to college in the Mid Atlantic region. Um, I guess you wouldn't. Yeah, no, I guess that counts so out in Newport News, Virginia, uh, Christopher Newport University. So, uh, you know, East coast baby till I die, but, um, that's, that's kind of where my roots are right now.
0: Nice Dylan. Yeah. Cause I was going to ask you when I looked up, uh, your profile uh, to research some stuff about you, like why did you <laughs> move here from California? You know, the weather and stuff so nice, but yeah. And, and seeing you, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a place I'm well, uh, aware of because, uh, as you know, you know, mid Atlantic sectionals, we would go out there, right. you know, to and play at, at CNU, as well as, uh, I forget which park that is, but, um, do you yeah, remember Huntington
2: that park? park? Yeah. Yeah. Park. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So a lot of, a lot of great memories. Like I remember there was one where we, we had to like win the last match and we'd advance, but we lost and you know, just like crazy oh. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, you've been through all that. So, Cool, so I just want to uh, get a sense also, um because we get a lot of cool stories about this. like how did you actually get your start uh, playing tennis?
2: Yeah, so uh, my both my mom and my dad they played tennis. My dad grew up in Philadelphia, and that's kind of how he spent most of his childhood playing tennis, and there wasn't a lot of opportunities to get like very good coaching and things like that. But my dad had a bunch of community members around, and there was um some clay courts, maybe like a 30 to 40 minute bike ride right away from where he lives. So he used to bike there every single day and play. And then when he got to college, um, he was actually on the university of Delaware team for a brief stint for maybe, maybe a semester, but he always would, uh, when he tells the story, he tells about how there wasn't a lot of inclusion during that time, especially for a person of color playing the sport of tennis. And there wasn't really that a lot of, a lot of support around it. And he just didn't feel that love being on the team. And so he just didn't pursue it any further. Um, on the other side, my mom, her dad was actually the the champion of her Island. She grew up in Curacao. And so he played tennis growing up and he was a fantastic tennis player. And so she kind of always had played tennis herself. And so I think I got a tennis racket, maybe around the age of like nine or 10. And I was like, what is this thing? And the whole team sports thing, like it was fun, but like, I rather me win or lose based on my terms and so tennis kind of clicked for me and how i like to kind of like do things so that's kind of where i got my start my parents were definitely a big influence that's
0: awesome man that's that's awesome and then how about your junior career i mean i have a lot of great memories about that and like playing in tournaments and stuff and nationals like how was that for you
2: yeah so t- tennis is um tennis has always been kind of like a love-hate relationship with me Um in juniors <laughs> I I just never, I don't think I ever had that really good connection with the coach. I had a coach, lost one, had one, lost one. And so it was very hard to get that consistency throughout, especially during those formative years, like 12 through like 18, where you kind of really need a consistent message when working with a junior. And I just didn't really have that. And so I would be winning some matches, losing most of my matches. And so playing tournaments for me was something that I knew that I had to do, but they were never really like an enjoyable experience for me because I never really learned how to deal with those emotions that happen through a match while you're also going through puberty. And then like the swings and flows, I I feel like the tennis match can be like one of the most emotional things ever. And not until you learn to master that, can you actually like utilize that energy in your favor
0: yeah i mean i really wish i i knew like the stuff that i i know now like when i was a junior you know i was always like you know i was scared of like how people would perceive me like if i lost to a a player and like all this stuff it was it was terrible like i would i would pray for like rain delays (laughs) like it it was it was yeah it was it was not great i mean i you know did all right but um yeah so And, and then uh so you you eventually got to play for for cnu so how did that come about
2: my junior career i had one really really good match against this guy who moved from texas he was like a blue chip or something like that and i had no idea who he was i'm just going out there swinging the racket like i usually the best. do and yeah. uh, i ended up beating him in three sets had no idea how big of a deal that was until people when i came off the court and they're like dylan do you know what you just did and i'm like no but i'm really tired like and i'm it's probably a good thing that i didn't know how good he was but yeah i think um the coach over at Christopher Newport university saw that match and saw that record. And then I had one other good win against the three star. And he was like, okay, this guy doesn't have the results that we would usually like to see coming into a decent level D three school. And we kind of would like to see more wins, more tournament wins, higher records, higher tennis recruiting, but I could see they can play at this level. And so I think he was willing to give me a chance and I'm really grateful that he did because I mean, seeing you was awesome. It, it, taught me a lot as a person, good good and bad. So that's for sure. But I think those that win and then the other win definitely like got me that college birth. Cause I always wanted to play college. I remember I had this dream at twelve. I'm like, I'm gonna play at UVA and that's where I'm gonna have my college career. Not really being realistic at the time and understanding like how good those UVA players actually they are <laughs> Yeah,
0: there are a lot of them going to the pro tour. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I think it, it was just kind of a dream come true of mine to actually be able to play college tennis, be on that team environment because it, that was just, it was so much fun.
0: Yeah. That's awesome, man. I'm glad you had that experience. Uh, and you did play for a university in Virginia. So <laughs> there you go.
2: <laughs> there you go. Right. You just, if you just switch the words around, like it, yeah. it means the same thing.
0: <laughs> that's right. That's right, man. That's right. Yeah. So that, that's, that's, that's awesome. Uh, trying to think, oh, you mentioned there are a couple lessons that you learned. Can you share a couple of those lessons?
2: Yeah, i say the biggest one is that like your your tennis, your wins and losses don't define you as a person. Mm-hmm. And you need to separate yourself from winning a tennis match and losing a tennis match. And it's equally important when you win to make sure that sh- you as a tennis player and you as a person are two different people. And when you really start to in, like entangle those, and maybe this is true of someone who's not a professional player playing for money. But but someone who also still takes tennis very seriously, I had to really make sure I separate the two in my head, win or loss, because the wins might make you like uh, you don't want to be too cocky. And then now you become like an a-hole and people don't want to be around you. And then the losses, maybe you're taking that into other aspects of your life where you're like, I couldn't even win that tennis match. How am I supposed to deal with the pressure here? It's like the biggest thing, especially in the junior career after college, this is where I really like locked in. I, I think I've become uh, such a better tennis player mentally and physically just post-college just take, kind of taking all those lessons in with a mature mind a better better way of looking at the world and realizing like you really got to separate the two because then you're not going to have any fun and I think the perspective right now is a lot different because before in juniors your parents are putting some money into you playing tennis so you feel like you got to win for them and they just drove you out up to Northern Maryland to go play this tournament. So you got to go win for them or in college, like you got people back home knowing that you're in college and you want to win for your team and your parents too. But now it's like, um, it's, it's so much more free where it's just the only reason why I'm playing tennis now is because I truly have a love for the sport. And I feel like I re found that love after college because there's no other reason for me to be playing right now. It's no, not really a monetary value. I just like swinging the racket around and smacking some balls. So it definitely, I found a new love for it. And I think just separating yourself from the tennis is such a big thing.
0: Yeah, I love that you said that, uh, Dylan, because I was putting together like a best of 2021 episodes and there's a a mental game expert named Joey Johnson. Um, I forget the exact episode name. I'll put it in the show notes. But yeah, he was talking about how, you know, one of the biggest mistakes is how people they attach their self-worth to tennis, which actually I'm pretty sure I did this in the juniors, too. So it's like, you know you lose a match and you feel like as a person you're like worse you know worse person because you lost so um right. i think that's that's a big thing that you mentioned as well that i want to definitely highlight uh good and stuff it's, man it's so easy to
2: do that as well because especially when yeah. you're a kid like most of your competition and the place where you feel the most anxiety can be on that tennis court and so i, I anytime i work with juniors i am st- Preaching to make sure that they're actually just enjoying the experience because I mean, half the enjoyment of going to these cool, like say you go down to Florida for a national tournament. Like you're going to Florida for a national tournament. Like let, that's pretty cool. Like let's yeah. separate the fact that you're going to go play some tennis down there. Maybe you got a bad draw, you play the one seed, but like, you're going to go play some tennis down in Florida. Like you're getting this opportunity. You need to understand like, what are your friends doing this weekend? They're just hanging out. Like, really be in the moment and be very, very present as opposed to like, just, it's just tennis. It's just tennis. It's just tennis.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that too. Yeah. And, and <laughs> you know, again, like one of the best of episodes, like was with this, uh, the president of JTCC junior tennis champion center oh, wow. where like TFO, yeah. And Kula train and so forth. Um, and like one of the things, uh, he mentioned, uh, you know, was that as well, just having like gratitude about um, being able to play. And he actually like puts his players in contact, uh, uh, with like their special Olympic athletes and Paralympic mm. athletes, like, so that they, you know, uh, obviously, you know, just like have a friendship, but also then they realize like, wow, like I'm, you know, able to like physically do everything. And like, I should just be right. grateful for the chance to even play the sport. So, uh, yeah, love that. And a big lesson there. So uh, in terms of like regaining your love for tennis, like I remember actually like being burnt out after college tennis. I went to University of Maryland, Baltimore County and played there, you know, all four years. And then I went to law school and like, I didn't touch a racket for like three years, but then it was like USC leagues that got me back in it. Well, actually my best friend who got me (laughs) back in the USC leagues. uh, Well, for the first time anyway. So what what was it about um, tennis that, that like, that you got re-inspired about that like you gained a, a love for that maybe it could help other people who are a little bit burnt out and don't realize like how great tennis is,
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I think my journey was um a very emotional one i so I, I had seen you um just fresh i i mean freshman year it didn't come in really with the best attitude in terms of being able to deal with those encore pressures uh, deal yeah. with a lot of personal things at home as well. And I was bringing that onto the tennis court as well as bringing what happened on the tennis court back off of it. And it just was a whole jumbled blur. I think sophomore year, I that summer, I kind of really kind of started to get my act together in terms of this is what I really want to do. I wasn't really in the lineup. Maybe if I was, maybe five or six didn't get taken out. And it, it was just kind of back and forth. Didn't really have that consistent starting spot. And then junior year, I got into some trouble with the school and I got uh, suspended for a year. And uh, that was, that was tough. That was tough because, I mean, it was no one's mistake but my own. And so I had to go through that year kind of like realizing, okay, Dylan, like most people who get in trouble with the school and get suspended for a year, they just, they quit the sport. They're like, that's it. I'm done. And I would really, my opportunity to come back would be my senior year right before the conference finals. And so- Mm -hmm. I I started training while I was suspended, and you know I was able to work on some other aspects of my life in terms of making sure my grades were right, making sure I was getting some internships. Um, I studied computer science in school, so nice. I was uh, I was working at a contracting company that was working with NASA. So it honestly it might have been, wow. now looking back, the best thing for me to like take my head out of tennis just for like a whole year and focus on some other aspects of my life to realize like, Tennis is important, but there's other stuff out there that also needs your attention. And so finally, when we came back, I came back right before the conference tournament and was able to play. And um, the biggest thing there was that the only reason I was back was because I wanted to be back. And it's maybe a control issue on my side, but it's very important for me to be in control of when I'm playing and when I'm not. And I remember my college coach had asked me, he said, don't, I just realized it's a whole mentality after you graduated, and even in your game, you can see it when you're hitting the ball is completely different. And I was really honest with him. And I told him, Hey, it, it really bugged me that I could put in a hundred percent of work here and just be killing it, maybe doing better than this guy. And then this guy gets the chance to play mm-hmm. and I don't, and that would, that would bother me so hard. Cause it's like, why did I work so hard and then you kind of keep working hard. You're not really feel like you're getting the opportunities. And of course I'm looking at the time, looking at that through a mentality of like a 19 year old kid, 20 year old kid who, yeah, I mean, as you know, the the mentality like greatly exponentially changes each like two weeks. So it's, it's tough to, I mean, obviously I probably wasn't making the best mental thought process and analysis in my head then. But the biggest thing was being able to come out of college, Knowing that tennis is on my own terms now and that it is completely up to me if I want to play, if I want to play well, how much I want to train, I'm going to get exactly what I put into it. And then also, I kind of had like a little bit of a chip on my shoulder, which maybe is not the best way to motivate yourself, where I never really felt like I had that respect maybe around that Richmond area of like, you know, don't mm-hmm. Sykes, he's actually a pretty good tennis player. It's kind of always, and maybe this is not the case, right? I don't think this way now, but. I definitely had that thought that oh he's not that really good tennis player. There's some other people up there, and I always just always wanted to be in the conversation of that top spot. And so there was a little little bit of that, a little bit of a chip on my shoulder that kind of motivated me to go crazy when um, during that whole COVID time we got furloughed, and I was just I was a madman training like a professional player. It was nice. I, it was it was fun, <laughs> but yeah, definitely a little bit of a chip on the shoulder. Definitely be able to control my life a little bit more and. College taught me a lot, definitely about myself and how I like to do things. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, I had some similar rough times, you know, like I remember a season where I was like kind of mostly out of the lineup and it was you know just a big test of like, you know, trying to be a team player and all that and trying to help the team and still practice and stuff. Um, So I feel on that. But yeah, it it could be tough, you know, having personal issues. Like I remember a teammate um, who's, you know, unfortunately one of the parents passed away and Uh. like she was like yeah it's really tough and then you know this person was really like just like had random blow-ups you know like just just like screaming and and hitting the ball on the fence and stuff like that it was just like way out of character so you know i can totally understand like you know especially as a young adult i guess like you know having these issues spill over to uh to your tennis and stuff um but uh yeah, that's interesting. Uh, and, and you know, I, I, like I said, I really love like all the content that you're putting out there. And like, what, what inspired you to actually um, record these matches and put them out there for the world to see?
2: Yeah, so it was probably six, seven months after my last college match. And I kind of really hadn't picked up a racket. It was more focused on, okay, let me get a job now. Okay, now I got the job. Now let me learn how to do this whole adult thing. Um, I haven't figured it out yet. I'm still still in the process. I, I don't know how to be an adult yet, but we're working on it. But, <laughs> you know, not, coming out of college, 21, 22, got this job, trying to figure out how to be an adult, still living at my parents' house. And so tennis was not really it was it wasn't really a priority. And um, then I think uh, someone convinced me to join some 5 team. And I was just like, ah, whatever. Fine. Okay. That, that'd be good. I'll play tennis at least once a week and we'll go out there and it'll be fine. And I remember I played this guy named um, Andrew Christensen and uh, he actually has a YouTube channel. I racer tennis. I don't oh,
0: know his... I've seen him, his channel. Yeah. 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 Cool. So
2: he, uh, he comes on out and we, we played this crazy three set match and he's got the camera out there the whole time. And, I saw what he was doing there and I was kind of talking to him and I was like, "Oh, you know that's that's pretty cool." And so then I kind of started looking into like camera stuff and kind of started filming the stuff on my phone and then I realized that um people really enjoy watching amateur tennis because the pros, I mean, they're almost perfect yeah. all the time and <laughs> I actually don't watch that much professional tennis because I think it's kind of depressing how good they are. It's <laughs> because, like you go out yeah. there and you're like, Oh man, I played so well. And then you realize that that guy would have told you in about 45 minutes.
0: Yeah. They're like so, 10 years younger than you and all that.
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, he, um, I started kind of slowly messing around with some content stuff and realizing that like, you know what, there's actually an audience for this and seeing how well Andrew had done and then kind of Slowly integrating with other content creators, but I mean that was a, it's a long journey. Uh, making tennis content is definitely definitely not easy. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I'll ask you more about that. I was curious. Did Andrew ask you like for permission to record, or did he just like put it out there?
2: Uh, he did. He did. He did ask, cool. and um, I always ask too. There's never a time yeah. where I'm secretly filming something <laughs> because that's not what, that's not the reputation that you want around. And I was like, yeah, man. Most of the time, what I found is that. Especially if it's junior players, and even adults, they are like more than happy. Like, oh, yeah, Yeah. throw it up there. Do you want me to talk to the camera like they want to know if they need to engage? Because as tennis players, I feel like we really don't get that opportunity to see ourselves play. And it's um, so important. I mean, football players, Mm -hmm. basketball players, they're always watching film. They're always watching tape. They're constantly seeing their mistakes, direct, immediate feedback. Tennis players were like, uh, bend your knees more. I don't understand how you don't see this. And then you finally go watch a video and you realize you're on your tippy toes and you're like, well, why didn't someone just tell me this like four or five years ago? You just, it, it's so important to see yourself play. So I've, I've found almost no resistance to filming matches.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I've, I've only had one person who said like, oh, I prefer not to, but vast majority are cool with it. Even like, you know, some like 40 and 50 year olds are like, oh yeah, cool. You know what? This one question that I uh I kind of skipped over, even though it's like not quite in the flow of these this question series, I guess. But like, yeah, no, all um, good. You, all good. Uh, cool, cool. So you mentioned that you trained like an animal during COVID uh times, like which you know still going on. But what um what can you give us some insight? I'm curious, like you know, what your training was like.
2: Uh, it's actually kind. Of, all right, yeah. So um, so I got furloughed. Probably, mm. uh, let's see, maybe. February of Mm. 2020, Mm. maybe yeah, February, early March of 2020. And my entire idea was, okay, well, I just started really gotten back into tennis and was like kind of starting making more YouTube videos. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to use this time very, very effectively. So I'd wake up in the morning and I would make sure I'd apply to at least 10 different places so I could get the adult part out of the way before I go do my Dylan stuff. And, and so, I it'd be in the morning. I would either be in the gym for about 30 to 40 minutes. Uh, I would then go play some tennis. Usually in the morning was more drills and drill focus and hitting with a lot of juniors at the time, because I've always found that juniors are willing to stay out there for two and a half hours and just drill, drill, drill under the sun. Then you go home, get something to eat. And then in the afternoon would be some sort of match play of some sort. So if fitness in the morning drills in the morning, eat match play in the afternoon, and then kind of just rinse and repeat. And then also during that time, there was a ton of UTR tournaments, just an absolute ton Mm -hmm. because the ITA circuit was out for the college students. So they were sending people on this summer ITA circuit, and there was just so much tennis all over the place. So I was able to play like really good people and had some close wins against some really, really good D1 players. And it made me feel like, oh, oh, I still got it. I'm still here, (laughs) but... It was uh, it was quite intense, and I was very 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 motivated and diligent about my training. Um, I had this. His name is Jim Cohen. He's in the Richmond area. He's probably one of the best fitness trainers I know. He's got me in the best shape of my life four or five times over. And so, him and I were working very closely that summer. And he's like, and I every time we'd be out there, I'd say like, Jim, I don't really know why I'm doing this to myself. And he's like, there doesn't have to be a reason. Do you enjoy it? And I do. I'm kind of a, a little bit of a fitness nut, so. It was gym, drills, eat, and play.
0: Balling, man. Love that. So, can you share with us, like, maybe a couple, you know, one or two things that your fitness coach, like, maybe changed or implemented in your fitness routine that you think, like, really helped you?
2: Uh, so, definitely, like, doing, like, quick agility drills. Like, a lot of people will... So I don't think there's all right. So there wasn't really anything specific that he's doing. That's anything crazy. But I think it's more about the mentality on why you're doing it. People will do those spider drills where they're running baseline and, and they run over to the corner of the service box. But I don't think they really understand why they're doing it and they're just running through it to get it done as opposed to understanding that when you're going for a ball that wide, you need to be cutting that ball off as an angle. And that's why you're working on running that lateral forward motion. And so a lot of people, they're just running these drills and they're like, I'm doing all these fitness and ladder drills and it doesn't make sense. I saw this video on Instagram the other day. They're like, why do ladder drills? And then he's like hitting a ball. It's like intuitive tennis. He had like uh, this ladder drill out, he did a ladder drill. And then he's like, how does this help my ball? He's doing the same footwork while he's trying to hit. A <laughs> like, if, if you think about it, it doesn't really make sense. And so you gotta understand like, why am I doing these ladder drills? Yeah. You're doing these ladder drills for when you hit a 130 mile per hour serve to their backhand, they immediately block it back. And then you need to quickly get your feet around that return because the return's coming back really fast. That's why you're doing a ladder drill. So your feet can easily quickly move around that ball to hit that next plus one shot. And so it was really understanding the mentality on why we're doing these drills, why this is going to help my game. If it's not, don't do it.
1: Hmm
0: yeah i love that yeah it's similar yeah i've I've talked to like dean hollingworth for example as a fitness coach uh, and he's coached some professional players and that was one of his like biggest things too just like you know you do see a lot of like different um posts like where people are doing like crazy stuff or like huge um box jumps or whatever and it just doesn't really apply a lot of times to you have to make it tennis specific so uh i really like that piece of advice man um in terms of like your usc league play um are there a lot of five O's in your area? Because I was talking with Mark Sansett uh, a few episodes ago, and he mentioned that he there was a, a tr- you know he had trouble like finding five O's. So how is it around? Because I know in my area there's like a, a decent amount, uh, but and and actually quite a few coming from Virginia, like Northern Virginia. But how about in your area?
2: <clears throat> yeah, so I'm actually uh, I feel pretty blessed. Um, I think the fact that I've also grown up here and spent most of my tennis career in this area that I know at least all, I feel like all the good players know all the good players and mm-hmm. all of the other players know all the good players so it's it's a good community I think we have I think Richmond was honestly rated the number three place in America to play tennis maybe in 2016 I saw some book about this just due to the number of clubs we have number of courts number of clay courts number of public courts as well I think it was northern cows or southern cows one and then Atlanta was maybe two or maybe vice versa but Richmond was right there up there. So in terms of competition, it's, it's been great. I mean, at any given day, I usually have my entire tennis schedule filled with somebody good to play with playing singles, doubles, um, older guys, younger guys, I mean, four five, five O's I don't really discriminate. So it's, it's been, it's been really good. And I feel very blessed to be here in Richmond. And that's how we, um, I don't know. Did you, our five O team, that's how we did so well, just cause I think yeah. we just had such a concentration of, uh, just, really good people that have also grown up playing tennis together. So that that chemistry was right there. A lot of us were in juniors together, and then me and Justin Cerny played juniors together and trained together. We went to CNU together. I had a guy, Tate Steinauer, Paul Mendoza, Brett Moorhead. They were all within one or two years of each other, played juniors together, all played at JMU together. So a ton of guys that grew up together in Richmond and then end up going to college to play together. And then we still play together. So it's uh, it's a good little tight-knit family, and I like that.
0: Yeah, that, that's awesome. Actually, uh, th- there's one guy, but he's older than you all. I think is uh, I think it's John Mook who played at CNU. I know Mook.
2: Yeah. Oh, you know Mook. Yeah, nice, nice, yeah, he's nice. Good, he's man. He he hits the crap out of the ball too.
0: Yeah, yeah, and he's he's got like a rest in shirt uh, company. So oh, free shout out for you there, John. Yeah. I um, like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See
2: him yeah. Maybe once a year at the alumni sometimes. Oh, the cool. Match, he'll be down there, but yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's tight. Yeah, because I remember playing. I think it was on my team or maybe a different team, but like we had sectionals one year and then we ended up playing, uh, you know, Richmond team and there were a lot of CNU guys and then you know mm. he was like chatting with them and stuff. So yeah, that's great, man. That's I didn't realize that Richmond was like that um strong with tennis, uh, but it makes sense. And uh, I don't want to talk about this like too long or anything, but um. Right. What about uh and now I'm blanking. Why am I blanking on this? Like are are there other like variations of tennis that are that that have been that have exploded like in your area as well? Like Pat Padel and uh what's that other one?
2: Pickleball. Yeah, pickleball. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah, no, um, <laughs> so I guess as a tennis player
0: I'm how do you feel like about that. that? How do you feel? Yeah, I know, right, right.
2: <laughs> let me let me put on my political shades and uh <laughs> Yeah. Want to make sure there's equal opportunity for everybody. Mm. So everyone has a great time. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. But (laughs) I think the only time I really have an issue with pickleball is that um, I've seen where they can make the lines. They do the lines very well on a tennis court and I can see where they've made the lines uh, like if, if I'm playing a tennis match and a ball slides off of a line that is three or four feet inside the baseline and that shouldn't be an issue. And I'm losing a point because I hit some fast line. I'm pretty annoyed. Yeah. But at the same time, I have to check my ego because I am not making millions of dollars playing the sport. And it's just something I do for fun. So,
0: yeah, yeah. you, you
2: got to balance that. I mean, at, at least in the Richmond area, I've seen a lot of dedicated pickleball courts. And we actually have one um, one club that has the full, is it the paddle? Is that what they call a paddle ball or something where they bounce it off the I walls? Think,
0: and, I think.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry if we're that, wrong. But, yeah. They, they've they been doing pretty well at the clubs to make sure that there's actual dedicated courts for pickleball and things like that. I've actually personally never played. I played once in like high school uh, gym class against the teacher because he knew I played tennis and he wanted to beat me. But that was um, <laughs> that was the only time I really played. I should probably try it. I'm sure it's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's it's it's, you know, another good option for. Uh you know, especially like the, how do I say this properly? But like, I see a lot of like, you know, the older generation, like transition and it's like a nice other sport, I guess. But yeah, I think you would be great at it. I mean, I I had only played once before at some like conferences to try it out. And then like one of my best friends asked me to play a tournament with him and I played and we got to the finals. I mean, it was just like a local tournament. Yeah. It was just a local tournament, but like, still like, I think you'll, you'll be fine. I mean, yeah. So, uh, but that's cool. That's cool. Okay. Um,
2: with the vibes, do you have to like do you have to slap through them or is it still like uh just like move your feet through it?
0: Uh I would a little more slap if you wanna like if you really wanna like put it away, yeah, you have to give it like a lot of mustard actually. Okay. Yeah. But I mean it, it's a little different, because like, I I'm a baseline you're an awkward player, I think. I'm more of a baseliner and um so a lot of it is like the to touch shots, like uh dinking it as okay. they call it. Um so it's kinda interesting. Like yeah. Gotcha.
2: Okay.
0: Yeah, cool. yeah. So Uh, with the match play videos too. I think this could be helpful for others who want to record their play. Like, what's your what's your setup with that?
2: Yeah, so I try to keep it as bare bones as possible um, because a lot of times with uh, unless you're like MK MKBHD, where like you're like quality 8K footage, so good, so good. Oh man, it's it's just beautiful. Like a lot of times you just want to make sure one, it's in 4K, it's 60 frames per second so that the ball's not choppy. And then uh, those are pretty much my requirements. So most of the time I'm recording with my trusty iPhone 12 here, iPhone nice. 12 Pro Max. It does 4K, it does 60 frames a second. Um, it's probably the easiest way I can record. Um, and I also have my GoPro 8 that I'll do 4K, 60 frames a second. And um, actually, do I have the little, It's uh, it's a little mount from, Functional tennis, actually, a little shout out for functional oh, tennis. The
0: tennis but I got that one, too. Yeah. yeah,
2: exactly. So I have this one and then I have that long pole that like, twists up and you can hang it. And I'll just attach my GoPro right there, just like that. And, or, or my phone. It really just depends like what the situation is, what kind of fence mount it is. I um, Always make sure I check the frame beforehand. But most of the work and the reason why it'll look really good and Mark will attest to this as well as definitely the work that you do in post production in terms of mm. like correcting the colors here and there. And it's very minor stuff. But a lot of times maybe a green will look really flat. So you just bring the green back out mm. and it's uh, really having that professional editing equipment definitely goes a long way in terms of building your whole match footage out. And so I use Final Cut Pro. I know a lot yeah. of people use Adobe Premiere. Okay. I mean, both work, both are fine as long as you find something that works for you and you'll be able to compare some good tennis footage on YouTube versus some bad tennis footage on YouTube. And you'll, you'll be able to tell pretty quickly, but in terms of what they're recorded with, they're probably recorded with the exact same thing. It just matters about the little touches that you do in the end.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And, and like with the phone, cause I'm sure a lot of people listening will, will probably record on their phone and for their own purposes. Like, uh, do you have like a, a, some sort of power bank or something? Like, do you have issues with battery or does it just, you're good? With just the phone. So
2: with the cell phone, I think just because I have one of the newer ones, this is the 12. I think they're at 13 now. I think um, yeah, no, no issues as long as I'm. If I come in with like at least 80 percent mm. filming at 4K, I'm usually okay. um The only time I have nice. issues probably is in the summer if it's like direct sunlight oh, on yeah. the phone. Then I, I, it'll overheat and die sometimes that way. Um, with the GoPro, I bring three or four extra batteries with me, and that usually will get me through a session. Uh, the the phone is like I said it's probably the easiest way because I can just air drop it to my MacBook and yeah it's a deal and then also what I like to do with the phone is I have an uh, an Apple Watch and you can check the framing on the Apple Watch and the phone just to make sure everything's good because you can get the framing right in the beginning and get make sure you get every part of the cord nothing's cut off and it just makes your job uh, when you're editing so much more easy so I, I definitely make sure I spend some time there. And with the GoPro, they all have that app as well where you can see what the GoPro is seeing from the fence. So, you know, if you need to move it a little bit or adjust it. So, definitely take your time with framing and you should be okay.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I recently got a DJ Osmo action, uh, which is pretty good. Um, but I'm still kind of, you know, not the biggest expert in terms of like framing matches just because I haven't done too many of them. But um, how about like the, the height and all that? Do you have like any suggestions on the height and then any other, uh, you know, framing uh, tips?
2: Yeah. So, um, I've actually been experimenting with this a lot. So, um, your typical fence is very good for kind of putting up. I uh, wish I had the pole around me. I can't see it close, but I like to mount the GoPro on top of uh, on top of the fence, kind of looking down at the court and making sure I just try not to get too much of whatever's happening further on the back side of the baseline, but really kind of focus really on the court. And
1: mm-hmm. people
2: seem to like that view a lot. The only issue is, um, I mean, the pros kind of have that view as well, but even higher, you don't see the height over the net, how much the ball is jumping, but you can see all the lines and where everyone's hitting the ball. And so you can see, oh, that ball was out on the far side. So what I've actually been experimenting with is bringing that a little bit lower and seeing more Mm -hmm. of a court level view. And now I haven't quite found the perfect mix yet, and I'm trying to find that, but I think as long as you're not too low, because if you go too low court level, then the person, you actually see this in some of our recent videos, if they're standing right in front of the camera, they block the entire screen. So you want (laughs) to just like slightly above their shoulder height, maybe right at their head would be probably the lowest that would go that way. If they're standing directly in front of it, they don't block the entire view of the court. But I, I don't think you can go wrong with setting one at the top of the fence. I mean, you're gonna get great footage that way, and people are really gonna be able to enjoy your match.
0: Good stuff, Dylan. Appreciate those tips. And then in terms of the, um, you know, what I love about your videos uh, that a lot of people do as well um, is like, you know, you just show the points, like you're doing a lot of cutting. So is that like totally manual for you uh, or do you have some sort of other trick or something?
2: So (laughs) I can't tell you how many times uh, I'm a software engineer and uh, I can't tell you how many times I've been thinking to myself as I'm sitting here, cutting these points up there. There's gotta be right. There's I, I should be able to build something to do this for me. Right. But um, at this point, I've been doing it for about a year or two. Um, I can sit down to have a conversation with my girlfriend and or watch TV and just be cutting points pretty, pretty freaking quick. And I do it with the sound off usually because you can tell. You, as you're scanning through, you're just like, okay, don't need that. Don't need that. I know the keyboard yeah. shortcuts at this point, but so now maybe say a match that was two hours long, it might take me an hour and a half, maybe two hours to just cut it all up, maybe a little bit longer. That's just the cutting part and where it used to take me like six to seven hours just because I was just getting used to editing. So, I mean, like with all things, things yeah. get faster as you're doing them more and more, and then I've learned to kind of put up like camera signals like to my hands like right before I'm like set to set to so I oh, know nice. which footage goes where and mm-hmm. that that kind of helps me just little things like that I mean it's it's incredibly time-consuming it <laughs> and so sometimes uh, I totally understand why a lot of people don't want to do it because so say I uh, so I'm partnered with YouTube now or like they're on part of the mute monetization program so yeah maybe if an uh a video gives me 50 bucks i've maybe made like 75 cents an hour on the total production value of everything yeah. so in terms of like time reward it's uh definitely not worth it there but i really thoroughly enjoy putting out tennis content and making it and to me it's honestly like um like a memorabilia or just kind of keeping an historic track of my tennis career i think it would mm-hmm. be so cool if down the line if i have kids to be like Yeah, go uh, go check out your pops. He uh, he played this guy who went to Furman College. He had two set points, but he blew it. But go check it out like it'd be fun. And then (laughs) and then I like to go back to like two, three years ago when I'm playing with different rackets. and I'm like, oh, my God, I was horrible (laughs) did I do it. So it's honestly I don't think you'd be able to do the amount of effort that it takes to put into it unless you like actually loved it. Like right now, it's yeah, it's not financially like great. Like it's not that's not the motivation right now at all. (laughs)
0: Yeah. I mean, you just got to keep with it. Like you, you mentioned MK, MK, MKBHD, excuse me. And like, you know, after a hundred videos, he still only had like probably less than a hundred subscribers or something like that. And now he has millions. So, uh, I hope you'll do the same. You know, what, one other thing too? like the scoreboard. So I mean, that's, that's also like manual, you know, like after each point you're like putting in a one and a 40 and all that stuff.
2: Yeah, so I get a lot of questions about that. So that was actually gifted to me by um, Ian over at Essential Tennis. He oh, nice. Was, yeah. Um, he, he, him, Mark, and all those guys up in Wisconsin have been incredible yeah. support. Um, Ian reached out to me originally and was like, hey, saw some of your match play footage. What can I use it in some of my videos? And I'm like, dude, this guy's got a quarter of a million subscribers I'm like dancing <laughs> around the room. I'm like, I'm famous. I'm famous. And so I was having a great time. and. We kind of form a relationship there he was using a couple of my videos to show uh, he would show me doing good things then he'd also be like this is what not to do and i'm like yeah that, that makes <laughs> sense fair. he probably shouldn't slap line over and over and over again I, I get that but he uh he gave me that scoreboard and i think he made it using like apple motion um i know you can probably also get the similar effect doing some animation with um i think it's called adobe uh, After Effects? or That's it, After Effects, yeah. that's right. So I know, I think Mark has built his with After Effects. Um, so that kind of like, that was a big help to me that Ian gave me that scoreboard. I probably will never change it because I just don't see a, uh, a huge value in going and learning After Effects to make a <laughs> scoreboard that I already have one. Right now, yeah. I'm all about time efficiency. Like that doesn't seem like a good sink of 12 yeah. hours of my time. So um, yeah. Ian was very nice, me, nice to have given me that. You know, I should talk to him. He probably should uh, like sell that in some or some some capacity because there's so many comments that I get. Dylan, can I get your scoreboard? Dylan, can I get your scoreboard? And I, I don't give it out because he gave that to me as a gift. So yeah, I should talk to him about that. Maybe he should set up some sort of online marketplace. Pay five bucks and you get access to a scoreboard or something. And you get a royalty for the idea. <laughs> exactly, uh, just a mild forty nine percent. You know, <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Or more, um, but but do you still have to change like the score each time though? I do. Yeah, yeah. Got you. Yeah. So Got you. it's
2: um, I I would show you my timeline on the the editing. It's like every single point's broken up, and then atop the titles of the point is broken up. It's um, it's time consuming, but um, like I said, I've gotten so used to it at this point. Uh, I think one time my girlfriend was like, "Is there any way that I can help you like edit these videos, help like the time process go faster?" And I was like, "I appreciate you saying that, but like at this point." It would take me more time to try to teach you how to do it as opposed right. to just if you, hey, if you just give me an hour right now, I'll, I'll come talk to you an hour. And uh, let me just knock this out. And she's been pretty supportive because as a lot of the times I'm trying. My my goal is to put out at least one to two videos a week. Now, that mm-hmm. doesn't always happen based on like whether I'm playing that week or I'm not. But what if I'm putting out one to two videos a week, that means three or four nights out of the week I'm editing. And so that takes away from time with her, but she's been incredibly yeah. supportive. And so uh, she just knows, like, all right, if I just don't talk to him for an hour, he'll be back in an hour. We'll, we'll, we'll hang out again.
0: <laughs> Good stuff. Well, that is super important. Glad you're lucky enough to have a great partner like that. Um, let's see what else I got for you. Oh, yeah. In terms of your gear, like you mentioned, like looking back at gear and whatnot, what, what are you using right now?
2: So right now I got the, uh, the Torbite. Uh, hold on. I got it right here.
0: Oh, Selenko Torbite?
2: Yeah, so I use Torbite um Diamond Rough, and then I also am using mm. my. Uh, I got the Pure Strike Tour from Babolat that I've been liking a lot. Um, I'm thinking about trying some Yonex rackets. I've that mm. V Core Pro looks super cool. I think it's like 330 grams. Oh uh, yeah, talking with uh, Diadem a little bit. Maybe start using some Diadem strings. Uh, I've tried out their Solstice. That was uh, really really nice. Um, I also work with a company called uh, Advantage Pro. They they That's make right. uh, they make strings, adv tennis. They make strings. They make dampeners. They make overgrips. They make wristbands. They are probably my favorite wristbands out there. And then I work with another company, uh, BT Advantech, that makes this undergrip that's absolutely perfect for vibration dampening. So I've kind of expanded my gear recently in the past just like year or so, just companies reaching out saying, hey, would you like to try our product? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So I've been able to try a bunch of stuff, but right now it's been the Bablot stick um, and uh, the Slinko strings has been the main.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I use um, Selenco, uh Hyper-G uh, 16L right now. Um, mm. uh, I, I imagine, have you probably tried those? I'm curious like, what you think between, like, the difference between those uh, two.
2: Yeah, so the Hyper-G is really stiff, um, but I do like that in terms of, like, you're really, really going to bite the ball. I've been using 16L as well. I feel like 16 is just a little bit too thick.
0: Yeah, and like, 17, yeah.
2: 17, I'm going to break in, like, a day and a half. Right. And, like, as much as I... Loves as much as I love stringing tennis rackets, and it's like just a huge pastime. Of, I'm kidding, but I, I hate stringing <laughs>
0: tennis
2: rackets. But, yeah, same. Uh, it's the 16L works for me. The uh, the Salenco Torbite Diamond rough is slightly different than the Torbite. They it's mm. they I think they might twist the strings a little bit, and it's a little bit softer as well. And so, I always recommend the, the Diamond rough to somebody who has like arm issues because I mm. found that a lot of people really like the Hyper G. But after playing with it for a week, they're just like their arm just cannot take it because it's just I mean, it's a stiff racket, especially if you're going to, I mean, a stiff string, especially if you're going to be stringing up in the high 50s, it's uh, you're going to feel it if your arm's not used to that. So I usually switch them over to some uh, some diamond rough and they tend to like it just because it's a little bit softer, but you're not sacrificing the spin.
0: Mm, that makes sense. Yeah, you got to be a, a strong young chap like Mark Sansa to use that. Hyper-g- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I hope he hears this. Um, <laughs> good stuff. Uh, oh, speaking of which, um, oh, did you meet Mark through Ian? Is that how that worked out?
2: Yeah, so, um, so I had met Ian and we were talking back and forth there uh, just through email and he used my videos a little bit and then... Mm-hmm. I saw that Mark was on the channel and then I started watching Mark's videos and I think I might have reached out to Mark and then Ian like vouched for me. He's like, yeah, I'll talk to Delian's nice guy. So then me and Mark started talking and then I, I was like, you know what? I just need to come up and visit you guys. I had a buddy who was living, um, probably an hour away from them that I hadn't seen in a couple years. So I'm like, "You know what? I'm going to come see him. I'm going to come play some tennis Perfect. and was able to meet Mark. And honestly, that was, Meeting people on the internet, you know, it's not always scary. You don't really know how they are. You know, a person is one way when they're on camera and they're another way when they're not. Mark is the same exact person no matter what's going on. He's just a mm-hmm. nice, friendly guy. Loves to crack jokes. Good sports yeah. in terms of sportsmanship and great competitor. So, uh, you know, definitely definitely upset that I lost that match. But um, I'm, I'm coming back and he knows it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you're coming back with a vengeance, man. Uh, So, good stuff, good stuff. So, um... I'm curious, too. Like, what is the biggest struggle that you are having in your game right
2: now? Opportunities to play competitive matches.
0: Oh. that's That's
2: the that's the biggest thing. Because so most, like 90% of the tennis that you guys see on YouTube is just me and my buddies getting out there and having some fun. Not really a lot of uh, sanctioned matches. And so, like, I was like a 10. I think the highest ever was, was like a 10-9. UTR. And that was that summer where there was just a ton of college kids to play against at UTR tournaments. I was going down to South Carolina, I was going up to North Virginia. I was in Maryland for a little bit playing. And so Mm. it was just a ton of good competitive tennis. And I think now if you check my UTR, it's like a 9.2, just because I've Mm. lost all those competitive results. And it is just so hard to find opportunities for a washed up college kid to go play some really good matches so so it's like if i if i do find some utr tournaments i'm playing against some eights and nines and i know that i can play at that 11 level and i would like to and maybe even further but if you don't get those opportunities to see that ball all the time then yeah it's going to be very tough to progress your game so percent. hundred i mean right now it's i mean obviously you know you could like I could work on my volleys, you know, or I could work on my serve. My serve has been improving a lot, but Mm -hmm. I just need, I need more tests at that higher level. And a lot of my buddies who are at that higher level, they're busy, you know, they're, they're usually teaching tennis themselves or they're traveling, doing their other things. So I'm mostly playing against, you know, that nine to seven range nowadays. So, you know, Hey, if anyone's out there wants to come to Richmond to play me in tennis, let's, let's do it. (laughs) I love playing tennis. So,
0: Awesome man! Just need I'll, more I'll,
2: competitive, uh, more competitive opportunities.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, that makes sense. I'll, I would love to come down there at some point. You know, when you have some time and absolutely, you know, hit and record something. Be fun. And uh, let's see what else we got for you in terms of uh, you know. Uh, Your inside-in forehand. I I remember you talking about that a little while ago. If if you know, hopefully I'm not misremembering. But you you were no, saying no, that no, you no. were having some. Tr- okay, great. Yeah, you you mentioned that you were having some trouble with that, and then I think you put out like a shorts video. Maybe it was and showing that how it was improving. I'm curious just about like that, and that's kind of nuanced. But like, what what trouble were you having with that shot, and then how were you able to improve it?
2: So my my inside out forehand's always been my best shot, and I think that's just probably due to some technical deficiencies there where I'm constantly Mm. late on my forehand. If you're constantly (laughs) late on your forehand, usually you can hit a pretty pretty gnarly inside out forehand, and so that's just kind of how it's always been. So my forehand cross court was also as a result very weak, and I would hate getting into that pattern. My idea of a tennis match is okay, survive cross court forehands get to the backhand with an inside out or forehand down the line and then my backhand I love my backhand it's pretty solid and I can yeah. usually work there at the inside out the only piece that I was missing there with that pattern and something wrong with that pattern is that I can't win the point on an inside in and yeah. I think that was just a result of just footwork and coming a little late and I mean you know definitely you're gonna Admit some secrets. Sometimes you ask questions on YouTube just to formulate some engagement as well. Just be like, hey, I'm having trouble here. And so you maybe you'll get a little bit more comments that way. I think it's just a, a game that any content creator plays a little bit just to try to get some engagement. But also, YouTube has, um, they've been like a coach away from a coach. Uh, they've brought up mm-hmm. some things in my games that. I didn't realize that I was doing uh, Ian actually made a whole video about how Dylan never hates cross court. And that's why he does so much running. And they're like, Dylan is fast. And the only reason why he gets away playing like this is because he's fast. Don't be like Dylan because Dylan <laughs> just runs back and forth because he goes line, they go cross and I go line they go. cross. Right. So I'm basically just like running some kind sort of like pattern drill that is not in my favor. So I've learned a lot about myself in terms of about what other people see in my game. I mean, a lot of people say I'm a three, five at best. Other <laughs> say I'm, a, I'm a Novak reincarnated. You know, I get all. Yeah, that's of a of, good one. <laughs> I, mean, I demo. get all-
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Exactly>.
2: <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. Actually. Oh, that was
0: one of my questions I wanted to ask you. What is, uh, and I know you actually have to go somewhat soon, but what uh, has been the worst comment that you've received? If you could share it.
2: <laughs> oh man. Worst comment. Um, no, you know i don't I'm pretty good about like not taking things to skin, but I mean yeah I, yeah. I get those like um those uh, this is three o tennis at best or three yeah. five tennis and sometimes I never know if they're joking or not and I obviously don't right. I, I know I'm not a three five tennis player someone who <laughs> <laughs> so yeah everyone knows what three five tennis looks like and then they watch me play tennis it's uh va- vastly different yeah but um it was uh. uh... Maybe maybe something alongs of like uh, no one cares. Why do you think someone cares about your tennis game? Like mm. things like that. But then you gotta understand that if people are gonna take the time out of their day to write something nasty to them, that you should honestly have some sympathy for them because yeah, there's something going on in their lives. Like if I see something and I'm, I don't take fifteen to twenty seconds out of my day to. Oh, hold on let me make you it was about what i'm thinking and then you know, like, be mean like say what well, you see nasty comments you're going to get them if you're going to put yourself out there you're going to get them so um yeah i actually figured that i would get some more like maybe some like race stuff come at me or something okay. playing tennis but honestly it's been great and i think it's a it's a testament of the tennis community on youtube that really yeah. the worst things that i've had to experience was people think i'm a three zero, and if that's the case i i could deal with that that's fine yeah,
0: yeah, that's that's not too bad. Why well, I, I definitely commend your attitude. You know, it it is tough, like, initially. Like, you do remember, like, the bad comments more than the good ones, but um, right. definitely just, like you said, have compassion for the person and probably having a, a rough time if they're going to write, like, crazy stuff like that. Yeah, I've actually had, like, some, like, emails before where they're like, F you, like and I'm like, hey, oh, what's really? up? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, God. but it... It's 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 just I mean, like, like one. Send once.
2: you an email. That's 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 way more personal than a comment. And the email is like they sat down and they formulated this email. Like <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. They formulated that f and the u. But yeah, <laughs> no, I, honestly, I think it was like my email was too long or something, and they were just like having a bad day. But <laughs> anyway, uh, it's interesting. I I hope you and the audience enjoyed that. Um, and then. Uh, yeah it's it's always funny to look at this stuff what are um what are three books that you would gift a friend to help them improve their tennis game
2: oh okay so definitely winning ugly by uh, Uh brad gilbert Um, Uh uh-huh there is oh it's that it's really small it's it's about like um oh man i can't think of the name of it it's really small it's about like the mentality of tennis and like talking to oneself versus, Oh, I can't think. Oh,
0: of inner game. game of tennis.
2: That's it. That's it. Yeah. Inner game. Got yep, it. That, uh-huh. that was a really, really good one. And then, um, I haven't read it, but I've heard good things about the Agassiz book. Oh yeah. In terms of why he hates tennis so much. And I think that <laughs> I probably could find some similarities there and like why his kids won't ever play tennis. I'm kind of back mm-hmm. and forth on sometimes I'm like, I want my kids to play tennis. Other times I'm like. This sport is uh, demands a lot out of you from as an individual mentally and physically. So those three books winning ugly, though, for sure. Got it. You got to know that. And the inner game as well, because uh, there's been some since I read that book multiple times around the court, I'm like, oh, OK, I understand what's going on here. Like the dialogue eternally within yourself. I think that it's a really small book, 150 pages, maybe you can probably mm-hmm. read that in a, in a plane ride. And uh, it's it's really good. That's that's what I'd recommend.
0: Nice nice thanks for those recommendations. Yeah, I mean uh but Agassi and Graf though like their kid uh would be too- so good. But anyway, we'll see. We'll see. What happens. <laughs> Please. <laughs> um <laughs> uh <laughs> So, good stuff, man. So, oh uh- uh, obviously, want to get the audience to to check out your stuff because, like I said, I'm a big fan of your your videos, your content, and you're putting a lot of work in into them. Like you mentioned, especially with the editing. So, uh, where can people find your stuff, Dylan?
2: Yeah, so uh, YouTube.com/slash Dillplays. Uh, you'll find me there. You can honestly just Google Dillplays or Dylan Sykes, and you'll probably all my stuff will pop up. Um, I have an Instagram as well at Dill Plays Tennis because somebody took the Dill Plays thing on Instagram already, so it's at Dill Plays Damn. Tennis. And then I've been uh, I've been trying to become TikTok famous recently. Uh, <laughs> it hasn't really been going well, but um, at Dill Plays at TikTok as well. So basically everything Dill Plays and Dill Plays Tennis, you'll you'll find my stuff. Um, I, I try to make myself very SEO friendly, so if you just really Google my name, you should find it all.
0: Nice. 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 Love that. Um, cool. Cool. All right. Well, uh, I just want to leave you with the floor. Uh, Dylan, is there anything that you want to share in terms of like helping people improve their tennis game or any, any other thoughts you want to just uh, bring up to us before we adjourn?
2: Yeah. Um, I guess to juniors, um, your journey in tennis is yours and I understand that you have a lot of pressure out there from parents, coaches and things like that, but, You really need to make sure that you're taking ownership of your journey and making sure that you're finding the joy out of your journey because you, I would rather you have a maybe mediocre career, but enjoyed it as opposed to an extremely successful career, but you hate every second of it. Um, I think a lot of times juniors get lost in the fact that their journey is their own and they kind of lose themselves and their parents and their coaches and things like that. And. Just just understand your journey is your own, and you, if you want to be successful in tennis, you will, but you gotta enjoy it and you gotta own it.
0: Love that, Dylan. Um, thank you for sharing that, appreciate that. Very wise words, eloquently put, my friend. Uh, thank so you, th- appreciate that. Yeah, of course. Of course. So Dylan, uh, thanks a lot for coming on to the podcast. Really enjoyed chatting with you. Like I said, hopefully we'll get to to meet up. Uh, That'd be great uh, in person, obviously, and play some tennis. And yeah, just uh, wish you the best. And for everybody, definitely, like I said, check out Dylan's work uh, on YouTube as well as TikTok and Instagram. And uh, Dylan, we'll we'll chat soon. So uh, appreciate you coming on. Yeah, I would love to.
2: Let's do it again.
0: All right. Awesome. Thanks, Dylan. Thank you. All right. I really hope that you enjoyed my interview with Dylan, and Dylan, thanks for coming on to the show, and keep making that fire content on YouTube, my friend. And really appreciate you listening to this episode. And if you enjoy the Tennis Files podcast, I would very much appreciate it if you left a review for the show. And you could do that at tennisfiles.com/slash/applepodcasts, or on your favorite uh, app of choice that you use to listen to the show. Just click the review button on that app and go for it. So. Thanks again in advance. And thanks to all of you who have left a review. I think it's, uh, we're over a hundred now. So that is fantastic. Uh, and as always, the links from the show will be available on the show notes page, which is going to be in your app as well. So just check that out. And you can also go to tennisfiles.com slash podcast to check out all of the episodes. And lastly, tennisfiles.com slash and then the number of the episode as well for the Direct page for uh, this episode with the episode summary and the links. So, this one would be slash 232. Can't believe we're up to this many episodes, but it happened. <laughs> and we'll keep going, of course, with your support. Really, really appreciate that again. And I'll leave you with a quote, as I often love to do at the end of the show. And this one is by Eckhart Toll. Maybe it's Tolle or it's Toll. I'm not sure. But Eckhart said, Instead of asking, what do I want from life? A more powerful question is, what does life want from me? Very deep quote there. Thank you, Eckhart, for those deep thoughts and expressions. All right. So with that, again, I wish you a very prosperous and happy new year and really go for it this year and take action. That's the biggest thing that I'm trying to do is to take more action instead of um, just studying things, you know, forever. You got to apply it and keep improving 1% each day and you'll be 38 times better than you were in the beginning of the year. And this is the perfect time to apply that maxim because we're in the beginning of the year. So all the best to you. Thanks again and have a great one. This is Maribon Ranchad signing out.
1: Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.